Hi, welcome to another Q Longevity podcast. Today's road time musings, where I'm driving along the road and giving you my thoughts, is about processed foods. We know that processed foods are not good for us, particularly ultra-processed foods. And uh, today I'm going to go over a little bit about what are processed foods and why we shouldn't be eating them um, and how they can affect us in very negative ways. And remember myself, uh, Dr. Cortell and Dr. Queller, uh, the two of us uh, are, are Q Longevity, and we are here to help you. Think about us as your health care coaches, and if you want to know more about what we do and how we can help, you can find us online on social media at DRQ Longevity, that's Dr. Q Longevity, or you can find us at QLongevity.com. Thanks, and hope you enjoyed today's podcast. What are processed foods? This is a, a question that I feel quite often from uh, you know, different people that are working on trying to get their diet in line with what their body should be eating. And even though I even though I explain it, and we'll explain it over and over and over, the concept of what is and isn't a processed food is not easily understood because almost all food is processed. Now, if I were to go to an orchard, the same orchard that I went to to, you know, fill up my apple cart, we're going to, you know, take it to market, sell my apples. But here I am in my orchard and I, I grab an apple off of the tree and I rub it on my shirt a little bit, maybe get the worms off the side and I'd take a bite into it. We could really make an argument that that food, that apple is entirely unprocessed, right? I picked it off the tree. I mean, theoretically, I could probably even not even pick it off the tree, just bring the branch down a little bit and take a bite. And I've taken a bite off of it, and the food is unprocessed. However, it's now processing, right? I am mechanically processing it by um, uh, by chewing it with my mouth. I am chemically processing it by mixing it with uh, saliva that has uh, digestive enzymes in it. Um, I'm furthering the chemical processing as it goes through my intestinal tract. And then it's going to be worked on by bacteria in my gut. So the food becomes processed so that it's assimilatable into the body. So the body can assimilate the food. I can't assimilate an apple. Like I can't take an apple and just, you know, direct mainline it into my vein. It would, it would kill me that way. So the food has to be processed to get into my body. So when we talk about processed food, it's not a yes or a no, an all or nothing. It's like, well, you're pregnant, you're not pregnant. It's not like, well, it's, you know, it's kind of, kind of. No, it's, it's, it's something that we're all talking about degrees. So any time that we assimilate foodstuffs into our body, there has to be some degree of processing. The processing that occurs with mastication, which is the chewing, and then the chemical digestion through enzyme activity in the body, that's human processing. We need that. In addition, there's also some sort of extra human processing. We're outside of human, the processing outside of a human. If I were to take, um, let's say if I were to go out to my, uh, you know, to my local market and buy a piece of corn that was cut off of the stalk, I go home, I, I shuck the corn, I, I peel the outside. Well, that's some degree of processing. I'm mechanically changing the outside of the uh, corn so that I can get to the part that I want to eat. And then I take it and I put it in boiling water. Now I'm further chemically processing, or mechanically first, now, now I'm chemically processing the corn. And then, um, you know, in our house, 
Um, my son doesn't like to eat corn off the cob anymore because he doesn't like popping his braces off of his teeth. So we cut the corn off. Now I'm, I'm further mechanically processing the corn after I've already chemically processed it with the boiling. So we're thermally processed, I shouldn't say chemically, but the thermal, the introduction of the thermal, um, the introduction of the heat with the boiling makes uh, uh, changes to the chemical bonds within the corn. So the chemical thermal processing. So the, the the corn is processed, but I can still make a hard argument that is a whole food. If I were to eat um, steel cut oats, now the steel cut oats that I eat, it doesn't that little blip of, of oat steel cut oat doesn't look like it did when it came off of the uh, it came off the uh, the oat plant. You know that when they went out and harvested the oats, they got the oat, they brought it back to a facility, and they used a machine to steel cut it. So here it's mechanically processed. And then I can either do it overnight where I let it soak in water and then the water induces some degree of chemical change within the, uh, within the oat that, you know, it, it causes hydration or we can boil it on the stove and, you know, create a, a change in the oat as well. Um, but the, the, the nature of the oat is still fairly similar to how it was when it was grown in nature. Um, if we were to take a look at, uh, I, like a Twinkie, there's no way that we can open up the inside of a Twinkie, look at that cream filling, and I don't even know how they call it a cream filling, although it is creamy, and let me tell you, I've eaten enough Twinkies in my life to know that it is a delicious cream filling, but I don't know what plant that cream filling came from. Matter of fact, I don't even know if that cream filling came from a plant. It could have been made in the lab. I don't know what the outside of that Twinkie came from. Right? If we were to look at... Um, at a chocolate, for instance, a Hershey bar. I don't know how that Hershey bar was manufactured. Now, I know that there were cocoa, you know, cacao beans. They, they harvested some chocolate, and there's some milk in there, and there's probably some soy lecithin, and there's some butter. Like I don't, I don't know, but it, it was a it was a process by which multiple ingredients were taken and adulterated from their natural form, and then put together in a way that has now made a brand new product that has no resemblance to what the original product looked like. And we would call that a processed food. And then just like we talked about processing through the act of chewing and swallowing and chemical digestion in the body or boiling the corn, those are processes. We can now talk about the processed food of, uh, of the chocolate bar or the Twinkie. The Twinkie is not only a regular processed food, we call that an ultra processed food, right? So we can say that the ultra processing, that not only is it a, a minimal processing, that it takes it out of its natural form, but it turns it into something that's significantly beyond what it originally was, right? So we could call, we could, I'm going to use a, a piece of steak for an instance. We can call a steak a processed food. Right, so we had a cow. We didn't have a cow, but there was a cow somewhere. And then that cow was uh, brought to slaughter. And then the cow was sent to a butcher, and the butcher then cut up the cut up the meat. And then the meat was packaged and maybe frozen, and then shipped somewhere, and then repacked, and then put on a on a on a grill or a stove. And it might have been seasoned with some seasoning, and then it was cooked. But we can still recognize it as a piece of meat that we see where it comes from. So that would be a processed food. We could talk about applesauce as a processed food. Now, applesauce is not the same as an apple. An apple, of course, 
turns into applesauce in our mouth. But here's the difference. Ready? Apple, we would say, is an unprocessed food. Applesauce is a processed food. I'm going to use another example because I'm going to tie them two together. If we took cornmeal, so if I took corn, right, and the corn is dried now, we have, you know, corn kernels, and I took, not corn kernels, but, you know, dried corn, and then I take the corn and I grind it up into a flour, cornmeal, and then I take that flour, I mix it up with some water and some lime juice, and I, you know, pat it in. Now I have, a, I have a corn tortilla. That corn tortilla is a processed food. The corn wasn't processed. The applesauce is a processed food. The apple wasn't processed. If I were to eat an apple or I were to eat a piece of corn, there are certain things that my body does do. Mechanically, I chew it in my mouth and mechanically my stomach churns it. And this helps break down the food into smaller pieces. This happens with an apple. You don't see it as much. But the reason I chose corn is because you do see it. When you poop it out the other end, you can still see kernels of corn. And if you went through your, your, your poop by hand, you could still see apple, um, apple skin, apple fiber, like little chunks of apple that you didn't fully mash up with your teeth that didn't get broken down completely. When you eat the corn meal, the corn meal has been mechanically processed so that the surface area of the corn has become completely available to the processes of digestion. When you turn the apple into apple sauce, you mechanically process the apple so that the entire apple is now accessible to the processes of digestion and absorption. So if I were to just eat the piece of corn, I'm going to make up a number here, only 86% of that corn is now bioavailable to me from my gut into my bloodstream because some of the corn fiber is intact, some of the corn structure is intact, and my mechanical digestion and enzymatic digestion can't break it down fully. And then this creates some degree of lessening in my caloric intake which in turn will lessen my insulin response, which will lessen my, uh, uh, you know, my fat storage. Same thing with the applesauce. If I'm eating and chewing and swallowing an apple, I might be able to liberate 93% of that apple. But if I were to eat it as applesauce, I'm going to have a much greater bioavailability to the body. So maybe it's not bioavailability, but, you know, human availability and digestibility of that applesauce because the surface area has been increased to such a degree that 100% of it is available. The second thing that happens is if I were to eat the applesauce, I could suck down an apple's worth of applesauce in, in moments. I, I could suck it down. A corn tortilla, I could wrap that thing up and swallow it down quickly. If I were to try to eat a piece of corn that quickly or eat a piece of or eat a, a whole apple that quickly, it would take more time. It's more of a challenge. The, the difficulty that I'm going to face at this point is that I have to chew it, chew it, swallow it, take another bite to it. And this slows down the consumption, which then slows down the rate of stomach filling, which over time, A, causes me to feel more full, and B, it causes me to activate more enzymatic digestion inside my mouth as these carbohydrates are being worked on by the amylase, other you know, enzymatic uh, 
um, you know, digestion uh, proteins and digestion uh, enzymes that are in my mouth and in my stomach. So the slowness of delivery allows my body to have a much slower and more even pace of digestion. So it doesn't burden my intestines and burden my stomach with a quick delivery of a lot of food. It also um, causes me to potentially have a slower insulin release, right? So my body doesn't have this food coming in all at once, boom. But the biggest key here is the consumption. And when we talk about consumption, the the one thing that we hear more than anything else is over-consuming. Oh, you're eating too much. Oh, we're over-consuming. You know, humans, we're programmed to overeat. And this is true because humans, for the majority of humankind, we didn't have a, a Starbucks, McDonald's, Burger King, Panera Bread in every corner. We didn't know when our next meal was coming. So if we found food, we ate till excess. We would store it around our midsection, which is where we, uh, you know, biomechanically, um, structurally and functionally, it's the easiest place to store. It doesn't affect our center of gravity that much. And, and then we come into periods where we don't have food. We, we uh, use our fat stores, right? So <coughs> the nature of eating processed foods leads to overconsumption because I'm able to eat that apple much more quickly as an apple sauce and get those calories in than I would if I were an apple. How about if we produce it even, uh, you know, process it even more? Now we've turned it into an apple juice. Now I pressed the juice out of it. I can consume the equivalent of five apples by drinking apple juice rapidly. My insulin is going to shoot up. My blood sugar is going to shoot up. I'm going to have a significant degree of calorie content running through my intestines without any sort of fiber in there without any sort of uh, ability to get my body systems ready for this, because I'm, I'm taking all this out all at once, and it's much different from an apple, right? So that's an even, even higher degree of processing, and it allows me to consume much more. And there are quite a number of studies that show that when people are given the freedom to eat as much food as they would like, you know, like, here, you know what, eat your regular normal diet, eat how much you want to eat, and then we take that diet and we modify it by removing processed foods and ultra-processed foods from the diet. And then we take that same diet and we have uh, the diet with the processed and the ultra-processed foods in. We find that regularly people will eat four to 500 calories more per day if they're eating processed and ultra-processed foods as part of their diet. Four to 500 calories per day. I'm going to round up to 500 because it's an easier number. Although I think the original study said 400, but let's pretend it's 500 because it's an easier number. 500 calories per day in one week is 3,500 calories. Do you know how much one pound of fat weighs? Ready? Here we go. 3,500 calories. So if you're eating your normal diet that has processed and ultra-processed foods in it, you will be maintaining a calorie intake of an additional one pound per week, or that's the amount of calorie intake you need to maintain your weight. And if you just eliminate the processed and ultra-processed foods from your diet, just do that, you'll lose about a pound a week because you're going to be eating four or 500 calories fewer per week. The ultra-processed foods 
also have a tremendous number of other problems associated with them. They have essential nutrients, vitamins, minerals, and fibers taken out. So the foods are now what we would call a less healthy food, particularly because your ability to maintain healthy vitamin, healthy mineral, and healthy uh, um, uh, um, essential oils and all sorts of things is, is now limited. If you're removing the fiber from your food, if you're removing, you know, the foods might be refortified. We could talk about, you know, cereals and breads and pastas and pastries are then fortified with other, uh, you know, other vitamins and minerals. Um, we can then, you know, make an argument like, oh, well, but it's, it's not the same. It's not the same as the way that it was when it was originally built, when that food was originally grown, because it's just not the same. In addition, we're causing our body to have um, potential tooth decay. These uh, refined carbohydrates, you know, affect uh, affect our, our our gums, they affect our dentition. They cause inflammatory changes in the body by changing the microbiome, by changing the bacteria in our gut, and they produce an environment that's more appealing for inflammatory gut bacteria. Or, in the converse argument, can be made that it's just not making the environment that's required for healthy gut bacteria. And either way, it's a, uh, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge for our body. So when we talk about a processed food versus an ultra processed food, an ultra processed food is one that is, um, changed and adulterated from its natural form. Chips, cookies, crackers, pastas, uh, most, uh, cakes and breads and, um, a lot of cheeses. These are what we would call processed and ultra processed. And we want to try to particularly avoid an ultra processed food. A great example of ultra processed food is going to be a, uh, a piece of pizza. Like that white flour is taken away from its natural, normal wheat, you know, berry that it was there and it was ground down into a flour and then the flour was bleached and the fiber was taken out and a lot of the mineral and protein you know, components were changed and adulterated in there. And then there was some more, uh, uh, some, you know, fortification put back into the flour. The same thing with the tomato sauce. The tomatoes were taken and they were boiled down. They were probably strained. Some of the fiber was taken out. Um, who knows how much salt was now added, how much oil was added, how much sugar was added. And these are, these are components. I, I glossed over them, uh, just a moment ago and I'm going to hit them now. But salt, oil, and sugar. If you're eating a food that has an added salt, has, well, has some added salt, has some added oil, has some added sugar, this is part of the definition of an ultra or at least processed, if not ultra processed food. And then on top of that, now we have the cheese. We, you know, I'm back to the pizza. So now we have the cheese on top. And the cheese might be, a, you know, a, like a, a part skim cheese product. If you ever buy cheese in the store, you can see the names of cheese. Some, some are called cheese. Some are called cheese foods or cheese products. For instance, we do have cream cheese in the house. I, you know, I, I eat a certain way, but my family eats a little bit differently from the way that I eat sometimes. And we have guests over and we have cream cheese in the house. We buy, uh, not to give a shout out to a brand name here, but Tempty is the type of cream cheese that we buy. I'll also buy the whole food cream cheese because it's called cream cheese. If you buy, uh, sometimes uh, you might look and see Philadelphia. It's a Philadelphia, look on the package, this is cream cheese food or cream cheese product. It's not cream cheese. It's like cream cheese. It has some of the constituents of cream cheese, but it's not 
an entire cream cheese because it's been an ultra it's been ultra processed. So who knows what's been on the pizza now? So it might be a cheese product that's on the pizza. It might be a sauce that has a lot of added salt, oil, and sugar, and the fiber was taken away. And it might have the uh, the crust of the pizza as a um, uh, you know as a, as a refined white flour product. That's now an ultra processed food. Now, can we do pizza a different way? Well, you can do a like a cauliflower crust pizza, and you take the cauliflower crust, and I don't know how they make cauliflower crust, but I'm just saying instead of white flour, it's cauliflower, and then um, you can add some uh, whole tomato sauce on there, and you can put some maybe a vegan cheese on top or no cheese at all. I mean, is it going to be as delicious as a slice you're going to get on the corner of a uh, 42nd and 9th in the city? Absolutely not because it's not hitting the same taste buds as those ultra-processed foods. And here's why ultra-processed foods are so wonderful, because they stimulate the taste buds in ways that our taste buds were not built to be stimulated. And that's the real challenge with processed foods. They act like a drug on the body, and we've talked about this in other podcasts as well. So avoid the ultra-processed foods as much as you can. Minimize the processed foods as much as you can. Eat the whole plant-based foods as a, as a foundation of your diet. All right, we'll see you next podcast. Hope you enjoyed this one.